Hi, Casey here. Before we start, our team at Pass Blue wants you to know that we're a nonprofit media site, and we depend on your generous donations to help us report on important stories at the United Nations. In December, Pass Blue takes part in Newsmatch, a national matching gift campaign that drives donations to nonprofit newsrooms. Here's how it works. If you give today, Newsmatch doubles your donation, up to $5,000. For a nonprofit like us, this is a big deal and will help us continue to report exclusive stories at the UN throughout the year. The type of journalism we do that puts accountability first cannot wait. Because if we don't tell these stories, who will? Hi. I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Fillion. And welcome to Unscripted. Today, what to expect from South Africa's last hurrah, for now, on the Security Council, with the mission's political coordinator, Martha Vance Golquick, and international relations expert, Dr. Temvile Mbete. This is Unscripted, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats and the reporters covering them. South Africa is in the diplomatic spotlight in December as it leads the Security Council during the last month of the country's two-year term. South Africa is also the current chair of the African Union, And South Africa's president, Cyril Ramaphosa, will try to make the most of this favorable timing by organizing and virtually presiding over a meeting on the UNAU relationship this month in the council. So the meeting on the cooperation between the AU and the UN could be, in a way, the apogee of South Africa's work on the council, culminating a list of achievements for the country as an elected member. And December, in general, is a short month for the Consul, with the end of the month left empty in general for the holidays, unless there is a urgent crisis. There are a few crises the Consul is watching closely right now, especially in Ethiopia. And even though it's not on the Consul's agenda, it could come up. I think that South Africa should use the opportunity to try to improve some of the mechanics of the working relationship between the two organizations, which has become a lot better. Dr. Spatemvile Mbete is a professor of politics and international relations at the University of Pretoria in South Africa. She wrote her PhD thesis on South Africa and the Security Council. So needless to say, she's been watching South Africa's third term very closely. But I think there's a lot of room for improvement. And I don't think it's going to be possible to pursue any kind of Security Council outcome on financing. But I think that they could try to use this meeting to advance the conversation on UN financing of AU um, missions um, on the African continent. I also think that an issue that should be dealt with is going to be around the conflict that's currently going on, or depending on who you listen to about whether it's been resolved or not, in Ethiopia, in the Tigray region, especially given that Ethiopia, Addis Ababa, is the home of the African Union and 
What we've seen in Ethiopia in the past couple of weeks, I think, is really concerning. And Ethiopia, in its approach to the conflict, has been very reluctant to engage with the African Union Um African Union attempts at sort of accountability. Yeah, so I think that that's definitely something that's going to come up, uh, whether or not South Africa likes it. I think that another issue that's likely to come up is around the security situation in Mozambique, where ISIS seems to have established itself in the north, in Cabo Delgado, and there still seems to be some uncertainty in South Africa, but also in the region, about how to approach the security uh, situation in Mozambique. But South Africa's political coordinator, Martinus van Skalkwijk, is not sure the topic of Ethiopia will come up this month, including at the special meeting on the cooperation with the EU on December 4th. He also believes the UN has a specific role to play. He talked to Paz Blue on November 24th, two days before the AU-appointed team of mediators flew to Addis Ababa in Ethiopia to meet with Ethiopian President Abiy Ahmed Ali to try to defuse tensions in the military escalation in the Tigray region. The team did not make much progress so far. Well, currently, I don't think it's going to come up in the meeting. It's not the plan for it to do this. There are quite a number of initiatives underway. Well, firstly, regional initiatives. And normally, from our national perspective, and also much like in the A3 plus one, we approach it from whenever there's a conflict, we kind of first revert to the neighbors and also, you know, the sub-regional organizations and then the regional organizations. There are currently a number of these contacts taking place. President Ramaphosa, in his capacity as chairperson of the African Union, appointed three envoys on the 20th of November. Uh, these envoys will travel to, to Ethiopia to try and assist and mediate in terms of the conflict. What we also have seen is to try and see where the UN can assist. And I think at this stage, something that really needs attention is the humanitarian situation where the UN is particularly well suited in terms of the agencies that it has, in terms of helping with the refugee issue and the crisis that we see there in terms of Ethiopians that have fled across the border to Sudan. There's also the overarching issue on everyone's mind, the COVID-19 pandemic. And that should be dealt with by the UN and the AU in the best way possible, Dr. Mbete told us. But I think in terms of the AU and UN cooperation, it's really about formalizing some of the mechanics around it and trying to advance the financing issues specifically, particularly in light of the destruction of COVID-19. COVID-19 has really revived some conflicts in the continent that were thought to be dormant. And it has also generated new conflicts because of the strain on economic resources. And so finding ways of cooperation between the AU and the UN on that, I think, is going to be very important. And lastly, linked to that is building cooperation around dealing with COVID-19. So making sure that the vaccine is widely accessible. I think if that is not managed properly, that the vaccine is equitably distributed and available, it could create uh, security issues later. So when looking at South Africa's work on the Consul, the AU-UN relationship is important. But there is also the African Alliance on the Security Council, or the A3. The continent holds three elected seats, 
This year, it is Niger, South Africa, and Tunisia. Nearly a year ago, a new member joined the alliance, the Caribbean country St. Vincent and the Grenadines, so it's now called the A3 plus one. I think it's brilliant. Since the Organization of African Unity was set up in 1963, which was the precursor to the AU, the vision around sort of pan-Africanism has been not just about Africans living in Africa, but about the diaspora. People of African descent who live in other parts of the world, mostly as a result of the transatlantic slave trade. And I think it's the ambassador of St. Vincent who said in one of your articles, I think in the past blue article, I think that's where I saw it. St. Vincent's a black country dealing with issues that black people deal with. So it makes sense for it to collaborate and to cooperate with the A3 on more issues than not in the security. Security Council, and it actually makes more sense to align uh, with the A3 on some issues than it would do to align with um, St. Vincent's sort of traditional uh, trading partners or allies like the US or the UK. And I think that this points to the Security Council's uniqueness in terms of being an international forum, right? That the Security Council represents the height of sort of structural power in world politics. It is the ultimate geopolitical arena. And issues of power and resource distribution matter so much more in the Security Council than in other multilateral institutions. But African countries cooperating on the Security Council does not always mean speaking with one voice. And there are a few issues for which the A3 or A3 plus one make individual statements. For Van Skolkwik, this is not a weakness of the alliance, but rather a strength. I think it was very effective. It was something that we really committed to and we wanted to see it work. And I think it proved to be very valuable. It was good in terms of our cooperation. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you agree on everything and all of a sudden all of your foreign policy interests are aligned 100%. It doesn't work like that way, but you've got the solidarity and support for one another. It helps so much to approach an issue as a group especially because there are so many issues on the council's agenda that focuses on Africa or so many African issues on the council's agenda. So it only makes sense to work together and to coordinate. And then also together with the three of us also coordinating and working then with the broader membership of the African uh, Union or the broader African group here at the UN. And as much as you represent your country, I think we also, that's been our approach, you represent those that voted for you and those countries on the continent that voted for you. So we always take the approach of looking at what's best for the continent, what's best for an African country, how can we assist, how can we help. And in that context, I think also the A3 worked very well. And again, you know, you don't agree on everything and you're not supposed to because it's not like the European Union where we have this tight setup in terms of being very formalized. So it's a bit of a more of a looser kind of association, but you cannot loosen yourself from the continent. Dr. Mbete also believes that the A3's cooperation forces the world to rethink its perception of African countries on the council. Next year, Kenya will take South Africa's seat. One of the things around the A3 
as a caucus and sort of formalization that has been so useful is exactly that it has highlighted and defined what the differences are amongst African members. Because in the past, there was an assumption of commonality between African member states on the council that didn't you know, and never worked out that way. And then people would kind of be shocked. And there was not any kind of formalized uh, engagement between African member states on the Security Council that had them regularly ventilating what their differences were with each other on the council. So I think having this formal structure where you can see exactly when it is the countries cooperate and are aligned and when it is they are not is really useful and I think is a positive development in terms of African politics because it allows us to move away from this very crude use of pan-Africanism as if everyone is the same, but rather allows for a more nuanced discussion on what the differences are between different African states, because Africa is 54, 55 countries, depending on who you ask, with very different interests, very different population dynamics, very different economies. And so, of course, there will be differences and there will be differences according to region as well. And so being able to speak about African foreign policies and African states in a more distinguishable way, I think, is is a really useful thing. And joining forces enables less influential countries to offer a counter to the more powerful permanent five countries on the Security Council. But it's not always enough. One example is Libya, where a power struggle among the permanent five has left a UN special envoy position only temporarily filled for months. And African countries have made it known that they feel sidelined. Libya is extremely complex and there are so many countries involved from outside of the continent, which makes it extremely complex and difficult. I think the biggest focus and frustrations for the African members on the council was that the people who were dying and suffering were the Libyans. And I think that was our first and foremost interest is to to stop the suffering. So in terms of the different interests that played themselves out that you see, for instance, the arms embargoes that were not adhered to, even by those that are on the council, uh, was very frustrating. But to the credit, I think, of uh, the process and the, the, the efforts to have uh, the parties come together, that has happened. Look, the point that we as the African members made in terms of appointment of envoys from Africa, you know, we've got a billion people on the continent. And there are some fantastic leaders and very talented people. And we could not see why that if you have an African conflict and you want to appoint a mediator or an envoy or special representative, why these can't come from Africa? And again, you know, there are some talented, some wonderful people there that have served as prime ministers, that have served as presidents, as leaders. So I think we were voicing those aspirations to say, but... You know, we have the knowledge, we have the people, we have the leadership. So, um, yeah, it was frustrating. And it's not for us to propose, but the SG proposed some very good African leaders. We proposed former Foreign Minister Lamamra uh, and then also former Foreign Minister Hana Tete from Ghana. I mean, these would have both been wonderful. 
But Dr. Mbete says that overall, South Africa has done a good job at staying away from petty political fights among the big powers on the council during its two-year term. So look, I think that navigating its relationship with the U.S. and then, of course, navigating the tension between the U.S. and China has been incredibly difficult and challenging for South Africa because both the United States and China are big trading partners of South Africa. And South Africa cooperates with both countries in different ways. So like there's a lot of security cooperation, for example, with the United States bilaterally. And there's a great deal of trade with China and also a great deal of engagement with China on African issues. And so uh, it's been really challenging, I think, for South Africa to balance its relations between the two, particularly with President Trump's kind of zero-sum approach to foreign policy where you're either our friend or you're our enemy. And so it's been difficult, but it seems as though, like with Resolution 2493 on women, peace and security in October, where South Africa did manage to get a consensus resolution passed, and did manage to bring the United States on side. So I think it's been a lot of kind of skillful maneuvering. And a lot of it, I think, has been trying to stay just enough under the radar of the Trump administration to not warrant any targeted attacks by President Trump. Van Skolquick says South Africa has cooperated with the United States on common interests over the last two years. I mean, each country has its interests. And I must say, with the U.S., where we disagreed, we respected each other. And where we worked together, we worked very well together. For instance, South Sudan. It was a pleasure to work with the U.S. on South Sudan. And I think it was with their assistance and the cooperation between us that we were able to move forward and that the parties were able to agree. And, you know, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done there. But at crucial moments, the cooperation with the U.S. was invaluable. I think it just goes to show in those areas where you want to work together, you can do it very well, even if on other areas you disagree. I mean, we totally disagree with the U.S.'s view on the Middle East. Or, for instance, you know, we would, would have wanted to move more expeditiously on Western Sahara, which didn't happen. And we didn't necessarily have the same approach or interest there But again, it doesn't mean that on other areas we couldn't work together. This is diplomacy. This is is what we paid for, is to work with one another, work with each other's differences, and then find the commonalities and work together. We'll be right back. Are you looking for a talk show featuring leading global voices? Do you want to learn more about how international issues directly affect people locally? Global Connections Television presents the insights of global influencers at no cost to viewers and programmers. GCTV is independently produced and reaches more than 70 million potential viewers worldwide each week. The show covers everything from human rights to climate change, from peace and security to empowering women and girls. It features guests such as Dr. Jane Goodall, former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Mary Robinson, and Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary. The show also hosts expert voices from the private sector, academia, and labor and environmental movements. GCTV is available to public television media outlets, universities, and service clubs for distribution. To watch the show or find out more, click the link in our episode description. 
Now, back to the show. Besides AUUN cooperation, South Africa has other issues it wants to promote during its monthly presidency. The other issue that we will focus on relates to peace building, sustaining peace, and that relates to uh, security sector reform. So security sector reform, for, from an African perspective, when you don't reform the security sector, and here we don't just speak about your armed forces, but it's police, it could be your justice department, customs and excise, border control, all those agencies and entities that relate to the security sector. And when you have a conflict and they are involved in the conflict or they've been tools of the parties to the conflict, and once you've got peace, if you do not reform that, then as soon as you have find that there are political problems or differences, then this becomes a negative factor. And you many times you see that, that these situations just revert back into conflict. And it's really a focus for us to try and again, put some focus on the security sector reform. We also actually widening it a little bit to look at security sector governance and reform. And the idea here is, is to update 2151 that was adopted in 2014. There's been so much that has happened in the whole peace building infrastructure and framework that you find in the UN system. So it's to bring that up to date again, look at the gaps, see where it's been working and not been working. So that will be a high level debate chaired by our minister, and that will be on the 3rd of December. So those are two of the, of the focus areas that we have. And then the third would be on the 18th of December, we intend to have a briefing on uh, cooperation between the ICJ and the Security Council. And that is going to look at specifically how the two organs can cooperate better in terms of the resolution of conflicts, in terms of using the capacities of the ICJ to help resolve crises, to help sustain peace and to prevent conflict. So, you know, uh, reverting to the, to the ICJ by, for instance, requesting opinions and referring cases there. Because we found that this is something that over time has actually happened less and less and less and to a point where it's virtually not being used anymore. And it's, we feel it's, a, it's quite a resource that is there and that could contribute to uh, peace building, sustaining peace. And again, the prevention and the resolution of conflict. Because this is South Africa's last month on the council, it's also a time to reflect on what the country has done during its term. Marthinus van Skolkwik is going back to Pretoria shortly after the presidency ends, and he'll likely attend many post-mortem meetings on his time in New York. And we'll do post-mortem and see what worked, what didn't work, where we could have done better. But a lot also depends on the nature of the relationship in the council amongst the member states and then very specifically amongst the P5. And currently it has been quite a challenging environment. When we were here previously, it was a total different environment. So you don't know what we will find in the next 10 or 15 or whenever we come back. But you learn from every experience. And I think it does have these benefits to come back fairly frequently because that you can maintain a kind of a institutional memory. But yeah, I think what was challenging was the relationship between the P2 and P3, and also, you know, the contentious nature sometimes of the debate and the approach of how countries work with one another. So hopefully that improves because if it continues, it will be difficult. If the council remains as divided as it is at that level, it's tough and difficult to get things done and to move forward on issues. 
Overall, Dr. Mbete believes South Africa didn't make as many mistakes as it did in its two previous terms on the console, and that it handled its relationship with other countries well. So my expectation for the third term was that there would be a slight difference in manner and approach to the Security Council under President Ramaphosa compared to President Zuma, just because I think each president stamps their own style and personality on South African foreign policy. I also expected that there would be a lot more emphasis on South Africa being a bridge between different parts of the world, a bridge between Africa and the rest of the world, a bridge between the West and the East, rather than the kind of firm alignment with the East that you saw, or certainly with Russia and China, that you saw during the, the Zuma presidency. So for me, those were the two big general expectations as South Africa took up its term last year. And then, of course, looking at the specific thematic issues that South Africa has always been interested in. It was particularly interesting, I think, in this third term that women, peace and security was foregrounded more as a focus area for South Africa than in the previous two terms. And then, of course, the issue around cooperation between the UN Security Council and the AU Peace and Security Council and particularly issues around the funding of UN-mandated missions in Africa was, was one of the big issues in previous terms in the Security Council, and it has continued to be an issue uh, this time around. So one of the things that South Africa, I think, did very well, which it had been criticized for in its previous terms, was that it did a lot better at engaging with all members of the Security Council, particularly building cooperation with the elected 10 members of the Security Council. It did that far more and far more deliberately in this third term than it did in its previous two terms and really did try to take an independent position in the Security Council rather than being aligned with any one of the permanent members. And so you saw, I think, a far more balanced approach to its decisions and its positions in the Security Council in this third term than you saw in the previous two. Because of how the African elected seats work on the council, it may not take that long for South Africa to be back. Its last term ended in 2012, and that's only a few years ago. And there's a reason South Africa has come back to the council so frequently in the 21st century. After 1994, there was an expectation that South Africa would be nominated quite soon to the council, but it took 12 years for that to happen. And South Africa was never up for nomination to the council when Nelson Mandela was president, for example. And even when Tabumbegi was being very active in terms of the formation of the African Union and NEPAD and being very involved in international engagements, South Africa was never nominated. It took a long time. But now that South Africa has served on the council, I think that it's a combination of relative resources compared to other states in the region that helps South Africa just because it is able to fill up its office in New York and 
engage in ways I think that some of our neighbors can't do as readily in New York. So I think that that's probably one aspect. But then the other is, and linked to that is then that South Africa now has this experience of being able to respond to a Security Council nomination really quickly and be able to prepare itself in a way that some of our other neighbors may not be able to. And then finally, I think that there is also a trust of South Africa, the way South Africa will engage and will represent the region, the sub-region um, on the council. Those, to me, would be the three reasons off the top of my head for why South Africa keeps getting um, nominated in the way that it does uh, within, within static. That's it for our show. This episode was co-produced by me, Casey Candela, and Stephanie Filion for Pass Blue, an independent women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulcie Leimbach is our editor, AI Digital created our podcast logo, and our music is by Poddington Bear. A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted. And Pass Blue is covering the important news, from women's rights to human rights to the Trump effect on the UN. For day-to-day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And to subscribe to our newsletter, go to PassBlue.com. Pass Blue's in-depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the New School, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit Pass Blue's website and click Donate. Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts. If you like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share with all your friends.